1: Hello and welcome to the Weekend Preview on the Athletic Football Podcast, sponsored by Bet365. I'm Dan Bardell and today, myself and George Ellick will preview the best of the weekend's Premier League action alongside Bet365's Steve Freeth not even going to go in with the usual chit chat and ask either of you how you are because there's a lot of good games on the TV this week and I want to preview them and get into them with you. But what I will do is say, remember you can sign up to The Athletic and save 33% on access to the best newsroom in sport. So that's just £3.33 a month for an entire year. All you've got to do is head to theathletic.com slash football pod and you'll be able to take advantage of that offer. Game one, Watford v. Norwich, Friday night football. Another blow to George in his EFL career. <laughs> Steve, I feel like I feel like you like a relegation six pointer. So you seem like oh. the kind of guy to me that would love a relegation six pointer when it doesn't involve West Bromwich Albion.
2: Oh, I was gonna say, yeah. I, mean, I thought there'd be an Albion dig there, yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to this game, Dan. I think you know the odds will f- will see a change. Unless it's a draw. If there's a winner in this game, the odds will change, you know, quite dramatically really. Norwich are currently the, the fourteen to one on favourites to to go down with with Burnley at one to two and Watford at eight to fifteen. Should Watford win, I could see them lengthening to around four to five. So a little bit closer to even money. or well, Norwich will be around the twenty fives to one on chance as well. But of course, you know Norwich will be pushed out and Watford would be in the mix even more at two to five. Should they lose this game as well? You know, Watford last week. I suppose they'll be buoyed by by that result at Newcastle, won't they? As well, where they bought you know three new players into the side as well. And I thought they looked better defensively, I have to say. And um, with Norwich winning as well against the bang average uh, Everton side, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to this one.
1: Yeah, trio of new faces for Watford, as you mentioned. George, do you know anything about Samia, Hassan Kamara <laughs> or Edo Kayembe? Are they people that have been on your radar?
3: I know more about the players who played for Watford last season in the Championship. And this does kind of feel like it's a, a bit of a game where Um, you know in my EFL work that you mentioned I'm probably going to be covering at least one of these teams next season having covered them both last season and and the winner of this is going to have a pretty significant advantage when it comes to staying in the Premier League but no I'm not going to sit here and lie I'm not going to lie to the listeners and pretend that I'm an expert on these three players but I did watch the game and watch these three players and they all impressed and that's important you know it's only one game um, but all three of them look to be a bit of an upgrade and it was Newcastle. Although Newcastle now, you know, it's a, it was still a, a big game away from home, uh, and they got a, an important point, having been behind. Um, the one who impressed me the most was Edo Kayambe, who played played in centre midfield, and he looked like a player who's just a bit of an upgrade. You know, we've seen Tom Cleverley there for for much of this season, and no no um, disrespect to Cleverley, who's been a decent player for Watford over the, over the last few seasons, but he looked like an upgrade. Someone who's very Able to get around the pitch, very good passing ability, able to to kind of set Watford off on, on attacks whilst also being very tidy. But all three of them, you know, I think Watford fans have been pretty happy with their business so far. Watford's owners, for all of the mistakes they've maybe made um, in the past, and their willingness to set managers, often when it's really mattered in the past, the recruitment has been on point in January when they've needed needed it to be. So you know, their their European scouting network is very very strong, and we're seeing that now. So. I, I would upgrade Watford as they stand with those new players in the side from what where we had them in the first half of the season. And I, and I think this is a great opportunity for that side to show and those players to show what they can do. Um, you know, they, they didn't drop points away from home against a relegation rival, now at home against one. It's going to be very important to pick up all three. Steve, I
1: said this on the Totally Football Show yesterday. I think I think Watford have won for seven games. Now Ranieri's still being in a job at a normal football club. That's the equivalent <laughs> of being given three to four years.
2: <laughs> That's like I'm so shocked. He's still in a job. Yeah, it is. I mean, yeah, particularly at a club like you know Watford, who are, who are perceived to be you know they, you know joking about you know how many managers they can get in in a season, and the fact that just to struggle, just just to draw games, let you know, let alone win as well. I, I suppose you know with the window that he's had and the new players and whatever, and these runner games coming up that they've got. He's going to be given a further chance, you know, particularly you know Norwich and they got they got Brighton and your boys as well coming up to it before quite a sticky run as well. Uh, I've never been totally convinced by, by by him, but of course, yeah, I suppose that Leicester City win as well would would uh, would tell me to shut up about it, yeah. But it's going to be wasn't interesting. A bad time achievement, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: come a bit of luck, I mean, anyone
1: won yeah. the Premier League, not a big deal. <laughs>
2: exactly, big deal <laughs> exactly.
3: That. Just, the, just the greatest achievement in football history, but um, <laughs> it's. Uh, yeah, it's interesting because this is it's one of my not pet peeves, but it's something I'm always careful with because it's easy for us as as people who watch a lot of football but aren't fans of a side, you know, you look at the results and you look at the the league table and you can jump very quickly to conclusions when actually fans of the club themselves will tell you that a look at, you know, a look at their their, their page of their results doesn't really tell the full story here. And I think that's the case here with Watford and Ranieri because the level of performance when he first came in were immediately so much better than what they had previously under under Munoz. And it was just a frustration for Watford and a frustration for their fans that those performances came against Chelsea, um, came against Leicester and were games, and even in the Man City game, where they retreated and played very deep. You know, the, the, the uptick in form where we probably would have seen the fabled new manager bounce came against sides where Watford were going to have to improve so much in order to get results. It was never really going to happen. Now, they haven't been as good um, recently until the game against Newcastle, where we might see a bit of an up to upturn up in fortunes. But I would just, yeah, I would say that anyone who is looking at Watford and sees the run of, run of defeats, there has definitely been an improvement. Ranieri certainly has Watford fans more on side than the previous manager. And, and crucially, they want him to be given a chance. So we're going to see now with an improved squad, and probably this game. I mean, this game on Friday night is going to be the the proper test. Where if, if Watford get beaten at home by Norwich, that will be a, a very marked dip in terms of what they've done so far. And then question marks probably will be asked of Ranieri. But, but at the moment, I think there's still enough. He's got enough credit in his locker for some previous performances, mixed in with the with the uh, improved recruitment that he should be okay for the time being.
1: Steve, did Norwich's win against Everton kind of get lost in all the Rafa Benitez stuff with with his sacking? Because you know at Norwich at that point, any win is an excellent win, even if it is against a beleaguered Everton side.
2: Yeah, I think so, Dan. I had to do a double take at the table as well. I thought they were just going to finish 20th and that was going to be it. I didn't expect them ever to get out of that position, really. And I looked again after the weekend and they were were 18th. I mean, if you're a Norwich fan, you know, you wait nine and a half hours for a goal, then two, two come along at once. So, you know, the Michael own goal and then the... Uh, is it Adam Ida? Adam Ida? However you, you you want to pronounce it. He's George, you're normally the expert on these type of pronunciations. Well, he's
1: played in the AFL, so I'd expect George well,
3: to know. I was, I was Ida initially, and I think I might have been wrong. I think it might be Eda.
2: I think we're set for a... I was going to say entertaining game, Dan, but I think it might be... a. A quite a fair. And uh, I might be looking at under goals in this one because he might be quite nervy.
1: Yeah, it's a crucial game at the bottom end of the Premier League. Famous question for you, Steve. How many points do we think teams are going to need to beat the drop this
2: season? I mean, gone are the days, guys, where, you know, old managers would say, well, 40 points is the benchmark this season. We need 40 points to survive. And the last five seasons, I think you'd have survived with 35 points. And it's it's hard to believe that Fulham last season, I mean, the three teams that got relegated last season were dreadful and Albion were one of them. But Fulham only got 28 points when finishing in 18th spot. That's the lowest ever for a team finishing in 18th position. So we've got a market of uh, over or under 27.5 points for the team finishing in 18th. And we're 5-2 to two for under that, so a new record after last season. So, yeah, we're not expecting the bottom three. With all those games in hand... Not to get anywhere near that magical forty, at least anyway. It's really difficult to gauge the
1: league table at all, especially Burnley with about six games in hand, I think I think they've got, out. No, it's really difficult. If you one of those other releg- relegation threatened teams, you must just be like, Anything can happen with Burnley here. Six games to play that we've we've already played. What Who's earth, gonna score the goals there for him, Dan?
2: That's the thing.
1: corner Andy Carroll. as the goal scorer there. Or Andy Carroll, if you if he rocks yeah. up there. What's your tip for the game, George?
3: I think crucially, it's a huge game, this. Like, that's what we have to look at. And in terms of a betting proposition, you mentioned Burnley there. Watford currently sit in 17th, but is that a correct position? Because Burnley have two games in hand on them. They're three points behind. And then you've got a five-point gap between 17th and 16th, where Everton sit. And you'd think Everton should have enough quality to get enough points on the board to make this into a a four-horse race to go into three. Watford, I think, are the value. They're even money to win the game, giving them effectively a 50% chance of doing so. Now Watford's issue over the last few weeks has been their poor um, defensive record and they're conceding plenty of chances as well. But given Norwich's struggles in front of goal, given their inability to basically get the ball into Teemu this feels like the kind of game that will play into their hands. And because of that poor run of form we mentioned, because they've got one point from their last seven or however many games it is, I'm not necessarily sure the price is also taking into the fact that they have an upgrade in centre midfield, an upgrade at centre back and an upgrade at left back as well. So um, it's a big game for them. I think a, a win here would would go a long way to-, to pushing Norwich ever closer to relegation. But a win for Norwich here, you know, even though Um, they're the team who've played the most games with 21 a win here would see them overtake Watford and points on the board is so important but I do anticipate that Watford should be too strong for them I think they are the better side I think they'll finish above them and that even money I think that's probably just about more likely than 50% chance that Watford win this one which makes the even money value
1: That moves us on nicely to managerless Everton against Aston Villa which is the Saturday lunchtime game Duncan Ferguson is set to remain in interim charge for a little bit. Earlier on this week, one of the best podcasts in the athletics stable, 1874, asked Everton correspondent Greg O'Keefe if Villa's job on Saturday just got a whole lot harder.
2: You know, Duncan got a massive bouncer and a huge reaction from the players against Chelsea back in 2019 when he was the caretaker before Ancelotti came in. All the cliches. He just managed to encourage them to run that extra yard, put their bodies on the line a bit more than because he he's got the respect in the dressing room and he's got that sort of synergy with the fans. And I think um, you've got all the the ingredients for a, a, a real bear pit atmosphere. Goodison. Now you've got the villain in Gerrard, who's you know not not very popular for obvious reasons, and and you've got Duncan the hero back in the dugout, uh, and it's a you know it's a must win. So I think it does make Villa's task harder.
1: So annoying. Give Benitez another week. Why do we have to be the ones that take them on when they're, when they're going to be regal when I was under Duncan Ferguson? So, so for sure. I know every team thinks these kind of things happen to them. This, this feels typical. Not happy at all it's, it's a completely different game now isn't it stuff yes it is yeah we
2: are struggling to split you though i think yeah you're, you you're, you're, yeah you're still favorites to win the game dan i've just checked the latest prices and you're eight to five to win at, at goodison park but i mean so many everton fans or football fans in general they say yeah we told you so we knew that was going to happen it was both for both parties really and i just wonder whether that type of manager now has had their day I mean, he got rid of the medical staff. The director of football went. Luca Dean went, and and and, and finally hit crazy. Yeah.
1: The Luca Dean going the week before the manager gets the sack. Utterly, absolutely baffled me. That did.
2: Yeah, utterly bizarre. And I know it worked well at the start. And he's papering over the cracks. The 1.7 million that was spent on Townsend and Gray, and and everything they hit turned to either went in or it was an assist. And they looked like 50 million pound signings instead of the 1.7 million that they'd spent. And De looked one of the best box to box midfielders in the division as well. I don't think Pickford's been as good this season. And they've scored 19 goals in 19 games. So, yeah, big dunk, big chance for him now to to put his stamp on it. And you know, who knows? Everton aren't going to get relegated around seven to one. They're not going to go into Europe. Why not give him a run as the manager and see where they go? There, there
3: are a lot of issues with the squad itself, and I, I wouldn't be you know. Duncan Ferguson feels like the kind of appointment where, Dan, you are uh, in a bit of trouble. It feels like the kind of appointment where he might squeeze a little bit out of a side in the, in the short term. But to expect him to be an upgrade with the same group of players than Benitez, are, I think is pretty fanciful. And whoever does come in is going to have a, a difficult time to making this squad and this team any better than a side just outside the, the relegation zone. And if the likes of Watford or Newcastle or Burnley with their games in hand do go on a run, I think Everton are there to be shot at. So, I mean, calvert return to, to, to fitness is obviously huge. If he returns to form, that will be a big, big boost to them. Um, but they've lost Dean and there are a lot of players there out of form. So, I, I'm, I'm still pretty concerned. If I was an Everton fan, yes, I know they're delighted to see the back of Rafa and it was it was an appointment that never should have happened given his, his, his history with their arch rivals. Um, but he is... Proven enough to be at the very worst capable that I, I can't see suddenly the shackles being off and Everton going on a on a big run to finish the season.
1: just got even more toxic week by week and probably way more toxic than you even ever could have predicted at Everton under Benitez. I don't think it could have got much worse. Steve, I'll come to you for this. Are Aston Villa in a bit of a false position? Are they a lot stronger than where they are in the league, 13th?
2: You've lost 11 games, Dan, haven't you? Uh, yeah, as I, as I picked right, up. Steve, no, I know the stats, thanks. <laughs> As I picked up last week, yeah, I was I was cursing Villa a bit uh, last week because we we have an offer where you go two goals ahead and we pay out. So we paid out on Manchester United uh, winning the game when they went 2-0 up. So that was over two million quid. So, um, oh yeah, so yeah, we paid out on that. But it's I know you, you paid c- out, didn't you, Steve? That was out of your pocket, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, no, not all of it. But as uh, (laughs) taking taking my baggy's hat, half the bonus firmly off. um, You know the the impact of Coutinho when he came on. The you know 15 touches, two shots on target. Also, Lukadiniu as well. 25 touches in the final third. He had two shots. He created two chances. The crowd you know got behind Villa as as they always tend to do whenever I see them or listen to them on the radio. um, To be honest with you, Dan, And, and you could just sense it um in the second half there, that they were going to come back. Listen, Villa are 25 to 1 to finish in the top 6 and Evans to finish in the top half. I think Aston Villa do finish in the top half this season. And clearly we are you know, talking about more signings by the end of the window. I don't know whether the Suarez one is true or fanciful or, or Gerard's going to get the band back together, Andy Carroll's available. Um then we'll you know we'll see what happens, but it's um it feels exciting times to be a Villa fan at the moment. And that hurts.
1: Yeah, it's definitely exciting, especially when you think about where Birmingham and West West Brom are. I think you know you must hurt the fans, as as you just said. Don't think Luis Suarez will be rocking up at any anytime soon. i would be very very surprised if that happened. <laughs> I, I was very confident on Catania, and I did come on this podcast and and say and Steve scoffed at me, but I was right, and Steve was wrong.
3: <laughs> where were you? Um, oh, I was no, say, where were you for the for the comeback? Because we know we we know you weren't there to so talk, talk us through how you followed it. I was
1: sat in a restaurant. Unbelievable, yeah, loyal fan. That's
2: <laughs> what loyal fans do: sit in restaurants. Yeah, yeah, I like, felt very much like I
1: felt like <laughs> at the That's football what you do at stadiums normally, Steve. <laughs> yeah, bringing me food. It felt very much the same. But I was aware of what was going on. I was aware of what was happening. Very, very pleased to see them get back to two to. As I say, I don't think Luis Suarez will be coming through the door, but one I think who might is Nat Phillips to add competition at centre half at Villa Park.
2: Well, you know your stuff, Dan. I know I was joking with you last, you know, last time about Coutinho, but uh, yeah, it will be a. Uh, Good acquisition for you as well. Yeah, I don't see him breaking up the concert and Ming's partnership,
1: but he, we need another centre half, so he'd be one I'd expect to see through the door. I think this will actually be the game of the weekend. You quote me next week. I think it'll be a really good game on Saturday at Goodison
2: Park. What's your tip for it, Steve? Well, now you said that, Dan. I'm going to go for nil nil. How about that? <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> oh, I've got a few of the i got a few of the cup sets right. Got yeah, yeah, yeah you did, yeah, right,
2: Steve? Yeah, yeah, no goal scorer at nine to one. It is no, Dan. Luca Dean. I'm going to stick with him. The way that he got forward last week impressed me and uh, i interested to see his react- the reaction he'll get actually at Goodison Park on this. Um, I'm going to go for him to score any time at a double figure price because he hasn't, I think the last time he scored was, was 2019 so it's been a few years since he scored a, a Premier League goal so yes, I think uh, he's tempting me.
1: Jeez, I think the Everton fans would be seething if that happened, just sum up the way things have been going for them
0: at the moment.
1: Right then, before we continue with the podcast, please remember that if you are going to have a bet this weekend, make sure that you do so responsibly. George, you've got some helpful tips on how to make sure that we do just that.
3: Yeah, it's important to us that the listeners of this podcast are in control of their gambling. This is a podcast for those who are 18 years of age and older. Please ensure that you are only staking what you can afford to lose and do visit BeGambleAware.org for any information to ensure that you're gambling responsibly.
1: Game 3 is Southampton against Manchester City which is Saturday tea time let's put James Ward Prowse under the spotlight then guys George where does he rank in terms of all time Premier League free kick takers
4: Beckham strikes oh oh there's one for the picture book so let's kick what do you say about He's beaten again, Ole oh, just stands and waits for his teammates to come and congratulate the master. That's inch perfect, anything that Hessell would want, that's all right.
3: Been thinking about this a lot over the last 24 hours because I mean it was an incredible hit on the weekend, and what was obviously a, a poor performance and, and a poor result for them. But it's the consistency with, with ward Prowse I think is so impressive. Um and it's the variety of his free kicks. You know, if you think about all of the you know the, the best free taker free kick takers that we think of in the Premier League, you've got Beckham who who clearly had his dipping, bending free kicks over the wall with his was his trademark. Um you've got the likes of Henri who could take free kicks with both feet. You've got a Payette who you know, I think his Payette's um free kick even though he only scored three Premier League free kicks, his free kick against Crystal Palace is probably up there with the best, if not the best free kick we've seen in the Premier League, where it dipped about four feet in the air before cushioning in off the joint in the uh, in the top right hand corner you've got Ronaldo who consistently has trademark free kick of smashing it into the wall or over the bar you know you've got all these different trademarks that these players have um but the amazing thing with, with Ward-Prowse is that he's got it all he he can do absolutely anything he's brilliant he's just as good at the Yaya Toure just on the edge clipping it over the wall into the top corner as he is from smacking it from 35 yards with, with sheer power and that's what sets him apart so I mean, where does he stand amongst those players I've already mentioned? Well, I mean, he's certainly better than Ronaldo, um, but whether yeah. or not he's whether or not he's the best, um, I, I think Beckham, Henri, Zola are they the three? I mean, I think yeah. we think of Yaya having the having that very one specialist technique that no one could really pull off. But I think those top three with Ward Prowse are probably the four I'd lean towards.
1: Nobby Solana was another one. I loved, um, a good free um,
2: kick. Yeah, I loved uh, Ian Hart for Leeds, you know, going Ooh, yeah, back a few years. Yeah, yeah, he was, he was th- that's what, I mean, he wasn't the quickest, Ian Hart. he probably ran as quick, take it, running up to take a free kick as he did defending. But boy, he, he had a great career and that left foot was absolutely fantastic. I think Lord Price is the best, you know, over Beckham. I'd give him the best as and well. I, think, I agree. I just think he's incredible. Recency bias, of course.
3: If you turn the conversation into best dead ball general then I think he probably wins I mean it's between him and Beckham because his corners are also just incredible yeah. um, I, I'd love to know I mean there will be some even nerdy than me who will be able to tell you what kind of um, goal you know how his corners have impacted their um, the amount of goals they've scored over the period of time compared to the average because it'll be massive you know he, I can he's t- able I can to tell whip you last in season's ball.
2: George I can tell you I can yeah. tell you he, he took 166 corners last season uh, 41 chances from set plays that uh, that Southampton got and he scored four goals direct from free kicks that's the only basic data that I have on that unfortunately that four,
1: you- four in one season is mega
2: but it also is. the the unbelievable
3: thing with that is, if you think that's 160 um, corners taken, 40, 40 chances created, I'd be amazed if most if most corners have that um, have that ratio of just connecting with your own teammate off, off the off the end of a corner there. And we saw last night watching the Manchester United game. I think they've had a, about 125 corners this season, 120, and they're yet to score from one. So um, yeah, I mean he is he's a player who is probably now destined to to play out his career at. Uh, at Southampton you know there was talk of him going to Villa in the summer I think if he was ever going to leave that probably would have been the one because I'm sure Villa would have had the financial clout to get him um, but yeah he's an incredible player to watch I think it must be between him and Bex for for that dead ball specialist um, the best we've ever seen in the in the league
2: How long do you think he, he practices each day?
3: Well
1: he said didn't he he basically said he was messing around with free kicks with that new technique at the end of the week and he just thought I'd <laughs> try it in the, in the Premier League I mean, it fires it in absolutely incredible free kick <laughs> just from messing around in training, trying a new technique. To to if, if he only started trying that this week and he's pulled it off in a Premier League, I think that tells you everything you need to know. Staying with Southampton, The Athletic are reporting that Armando Broja is unlikely to continue on loan at the Saints past this season. Good enough to warrant a big bid from Southampton, probably, but is he good enough to fight for a place in the current Chelsea attack, George? Bearing in mind, you know, Tammy Abraham's been sold recently because he wasn't good enough. Is Broja going to be good enough? I really like him, actually.
3: I think he is the perfect striker to be second fiddle to whoever is the main striker at Chelsea. And Chelsea have played an absolute blinder here because before loaning him out to, to Southampton in August, he signed a new five-year deal in July. And that means, because not many players, especially not a, a 20-year-old, who's already sh- proving himself to be good enough to play up top for a team in the Premier League, are, are going to want to go and be play second fiddle to another side. But as we saw with Tammy Abraham given he signed this new long term contract one of two things happens either he has to make do with that especially with with Romelu Lukaku being at the club even though he's not in great form he'll always be second behind Broja or they have to, someone has to spend an extortionate amount of money to to get him, and, and that's where I see him being. You know, he, he's obviously very good. He's, he's proving himself now. Chelsea will be over the moon with the kind of form that he's showing at Saints at the moment and his popularity there. And yes, probably he'd be better for his own development to continue playing. But I I've, I've got a feeling he'll be. At Chelsea for a few years yet um, never probably being that number one striker but certainly a very effective player for them to have uh, and to be able to call upon because at the moment they don't really have that you know you look at, at Lukaku whether he's been out of the team because of um, form fitness or interviews with Sky Italia um, they haven't had a, a player to be able to call upon to play that role you know Havertz has played a fair bit up top uh, he's only scored two goals this season we've seen consistently that Timo Werner is not the man to play through the middle And I think Chelsea fans and Chelsea would probably quite like to have him for the second half of the season to play that role. But he'll be at Saints till the end of the campaign and then they'll have a decision to make. Do they want to buy a player from Chelsea on a four-year deal who they'll be happy to keep? Or will they have to turn their attentions elsewhere? Yeah, Sam
1: Lee's been writing about Kevin De Bruyne, who was decisive in City's win over Chelsea last weekend. But Pep has once again highlighted his struggles against teams who defend with a lower block. Even as good as he is, is he showing a willingness to adapt his role recently in a more patient City team, Steve?
2: Uh well yeah I mean I was there after on Boxing Day to to see him and it was a pleasure to you, you've not mentioned that Boxing Day to to watch to watch that game and uh, Danny's into second favorite now for for the PFA award you know really? so yeah I know it's uh yeah I mean he's won it the last two years as well it was a surprise to me it feels like he should be a, a double figure prize for it as well he's only started 11 games this season and played exactly. a, and played 1000 minutes but he's still he still managed forty shots and six Premier League goals. He's averaging over three and a half shots per per ninety. The one thing that surprised me was just just one assist. And if you look at the last two seasons, he's got twelve and, and, and twenty. And a, you know you know reading up on it, he seems to be putting fewer balls uh, into the box. I think you could argue that well, they don't have a number nine, so so why bother? But his expected uh, expected assist is over four. So um, I think that might change uh, pretty soon as well. And, and let's remember he had a pretty bad uh, COVID as well quite recently. So he's coming back to fitness as that. But uh, Kevin De Bruyne for me would still be one of the first names on the team sheet.
1: Another City win potentially kills the title. Why are the latest starts with them double and treble wise, Steve?
2: Yeah, well, they're 16 to one on to, to win the title, Dan, and they're, and they're 12 to one to, to win the treble uh, as well this, this season. Um, they're also 12-1 to, to get 100 points in the Premier League as well, which they did before uh, back in 2018 when they reached that record tally by beating Manchester United by 19 points as well. So we don't think they'll get anywhere near that amount this season, but we still think they'll win the title, clearly at 1-16. to 16. And George, how do you see this one playing out?
3: Looking back at the games between uh, these two sides in recent years with Hassan Hootl going up against um, Pep Guardiola's Man City, have been there have been three that have been under one and a half goals. We've got the one nil win from Southampton last July. Uh, then after that, City went to uh, St Mary's and beat them in December one nil. Then the 5-2 uh, the back end of last season in March. And then a nil nil draw at the Etihad back in September. So you've got three games there that have been pretty low scoring and one which was an absolute goal fest. And I think given the 13-8 to eight about there being under two and a half goals, um, we have to look at those four Look at the 5 2 as being an outlier and assume there that not many teams have suffocated um, Man City's attack as well as Ralph Hassenhutel's teams have on three occasions of the four. So, uh, I mean, yes, it could end up being a goal fest, and yes, an early goal for City would probably open it up, but there's enough evidence there for me to suggest that the unders is a little bit overpriced.
4: This is a paid advertisement from Better Health Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small, and when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings, and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist, and if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces.
0: This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham.
1: Palace v Liverpool, is 2pm Sunday, so another Chelsea loanee, Conor Gallagher, another one who's probably good enough to actually battle for a place in the current Chelsea team, especially the form they're in at the moment, but Steve, you know him well, better off at Palace isn't he, seven goals this season already, edging towards double figures.
2: Yeah, brilliant, brilliant to see. Of course, he's playing in a better side than he than he did last season, Dan. Uh, two goals last season, I think he got with us and and two assists as well. You know, he's already had 35 shots, 15 have been on, on, on target as well. And it's great to see, you know, he did, uh, he was a, I was going to say box to box, but he didn't get in the opposition box uh, a great deal uh, <laughs> last season for us. But, you know, the amount of pressures uh, that he did, um, you could tell he was, he was closing down just like he's doing this season. He was actually third in the Premier League last season with 708 behind, uh, Bruno Fernandes, maybe a little bit surprisingly and Hoybier. Uh, and he's second this season to Christian Norgard with 412. So bit of an old fashioned, uh, midfielder, you know, can do, could do, do everything really. And, uh, as an Albion fan, you know, I, I do kind of class him as a, as an ex player, you know, the, the fact he was there, even though he is a Chelsea player as well. It's good to see. And, um, It'd be interesting to see whether he can, you know, what happens with his future. But um, he's certainly, he's got a hell of a one coming up, you would hope.
1: Yeah, you, you've, you've not moved on from him, Steve, but I'm pretty sure he'd like to forget that he ever spent any time. <laughs> True. <at> the, <laughs> <yeah>. I, <laughs> don't, <laughs> I don't correct. blame
2: him. I don't blame him. I'm just wiping the tears away now, Dan, as we speak. George,
1: Liverpool beat Brentford without their African stars. Fabinho chipping in with the goals. But as Kev O'Neill has been writing for The Athletic this week, the defensive midfielder's fundamental role is to screen, not to score.
2: Is he the best at what
1: he does in the Premier League? I'm sure Rodri would have something to say about that, but arguably the best. Uh,
3: how do I? I mean, how do I answer that diplomatically? Because they're both so good at what they do. I think Fabinho is probably more important to Liverpool than Rodri is to City, and that's no slight yeah. on, Rubin, on, on Rodri at all. It's more they have other players who can come in and do it. You know, I mean, Fernandinho done it well. It's been a while since Gundogan played that role, but we know that he has done many, many times very impressively as well. Whereas we see with Liverpool that when Fabinho is out of the side. Um, they miss him so much. You know, we've seen Henderson try and play there. We've seen Thiago try and play there. They're both effectively wasted when they do play there because they want to be the player playing on the flank. Obviously, Thiago normally on the left, Henderson on the right, who are able to, to be more progressive in possession and do less off the ball because that's where their strengths lie. Uh, it helps that he's also very tidy on the ball it helps that he's got as we've seen a couple of times in recent weeks uh, in the cup as well he can he can pop up with goals when needed uh, often forgotten as well that he was a, a specialist penalty penalty taker back in the day where he before when he played um, in a side with um, James Milner and uh, Mohamed Salah where you're going to struggle to get the ball off them when it comes to, to taking penalties but you know he's he's a magnificent player and now he's back to full fitness. Um you can really notice the difference for Liverpool and I think given the absence of of Mane um of of Salah as well um his calming presence has been so important when they cannot rely quite as much on their front three to be as devastating as they normally are. But that it felt like that that 3-0 win over Brentford went quite under the radar on on Sunday afternoon. Um it was a, a, pretty cosy against the side have caused some some pretty good teams this season some big issues and they, they managed to win comfortably in the end so um, yeah he's a he's a great player and someone who Liverpool fans are delighted to have back fit and firing in their team
1: Yeah I think I got lost because everyone was so annoyed at the game that was supposed to take place later in that day not taking yeah. place so I think that's why he kind of got lost a little bit, because we were all talking about a game that didn't happen, didn't happen.
2: <laughs> Stevie boy what's your tip for this game? Well the last six seasons Dan Liverpool have won every single one of their six trips to Selhurst Park. But I'm going to go against the grain this time. Obviously, George mentioned they're missing a couple of uh, key players in the four positions. I think Palace can get something out of this game and will not lose the game. So I'm going with Palace. Double chance currently around the 11 to 8 mark. So they either win or draw.
1: Yeah,
2: and apologies for calling you Stevie Boy. I'm
1: absolutely never going to do that again. That was really <laughs> weird. I'm sorry, sorry that Stigma. I did that. So, 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 so sorry. <laughs> Yeah, factually incorrect as well. Stevie man would have been, would have been <laughs> right, George. Stevie old man would probably closer nearer <laughs> yeah. nearer the mark, guys. I would say. Game five, the final game we're going to preview on today's show is Chelsea v Spurs, four thirty on Sunday. George, Chelsea embarrassed Spurs in the League Cup twice already this year. and We are very early into this year as well. Can we learn much from those two games? Because Conte, you know, they're still they're still unbeaten in, in the league.
3: I, I mean, I'm so confused about how to view this because you watch those two games between between Chelsea and Spurs in the cup and the gulf in quality between the two sides was was massive. You know, Chelsea easing to victory, especially in the first game, and Spurs didn't really look up for the fight. I know in the second they felt like VAR came and, and hampered their chances on a few occasions, but, but generally there was a, a marked marked gap between the two sides. But what we've seen in the league compared to what we saw in those two doesn't really support that. Um, in that time since, we saw Chelsea go to City and, and get beaten, and then go to Brighton in midweek where they w- were second best. Whereas Spurs, obviously, an incredible game uh, on on Wednesday evening where they were two one were down against Leicester, going into the ninety sixth minute and somehow managed to win the game three two with two Bergvai goals. Um, but it was that it, they deserved. Um, at least a point in that game Um, Harry Kane looks somewhat back to his normal menacing self you know I think the key we always say with strikers isn't necessarily you know if if those chances aren't going in when you've got a player who's as prolific as Harry Kane has been the goals will come and that's certainly the case here Uh, and in a couple of other games recently you know they've looked far far better so I'm left scratching my head because it's pretty difficult having watched with our own eyes 180 minutes of Chelsea being dominant but coming into this one, I would find it very difficult to um, to confidently predict that we would see the same in a league game.
1: Yeah, was it almost illogical, that cup game? It just made, just made no sense at all with the current goings-on at both clubs. You kind of feel like is cajoling Spurs at the moment and their, their team spirit that's been fostered and everything going at Spurs is on the way up. Chelsea very much feels like the the opposite at the moment. On the way down, Tuchel looking a bit beleaguered. The players playing as individuals, not really playing for the team. They probably deserve to lose to Brighton in midweek. Don Fifield writes, tired, clunky and awkward. After 18 games in 59 days, Tuchel's Chelsea need a breather. Could they conceivably drop out the top three, Steve? That was unthinkable a few weeks ago.
2: Yeah, well, we have them at four to seven, Dan, to finish third. Actually, I mean, they're a hundred to one now to win the title. You know, they were only what two to one. It feels like not so not so long ago. Boy, how's that changed? And they are eleven to four to finish second, with fourth at eight to one and fifth or lower at ten to one. So, we're still firmly with them at four to seven to to finish third and. Let's not forget that they had only lost one Premier League game up until the 1st of December and that was against Manchester City. So you think, OK, that's fair enough. And since then, they've, they've beaten Leeds in the last minute and then they went to Villa Park and, and, and beat you, of course. But I thought they were there for the taking in the first half. And I know they've had three away games in, what, seven days, which the manager has referred to. That's tough. You know, the the round trip for all those three games was 450 miles and I'm sure they travel in style as well. And that came on the back of four home games on the bounce as well. And he's talking about tired legs. Well, you know, off the bench against Brighton was uh, Kovacic, Havertz and and Timo Werner, £156 million worth of talent. You know, so I I do get it. There are tired legs and of course you probably feel a lot more tired after the recent performances as well. And it seems to me a side that are missing their wing backs an awful lot. As well, but yeah, definitely. Yeah, we still make Chelsea very warm favourites to win this game at eight to thirteen, with Spurs at four to one to cause a bit of a shock at Stamford Bridge.
1: George, before you give me your prediction, let's just talk about the madness of Wednesday night football. Well, <laughs> not 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 the Wednesday night football. Wednesday night at Leicester, Stephen Bergveld coming from nowhere to score two goals. Ninety, I think it was ninety fifth and ninety seventh minute. In the end? 96,
3: Just, 97, I think.
1: Was it 96 to 97? Jeez.
3: Yeah.
1: Absolutely crazy scenes. Just talk us through what, was you, what you made of that.
3: Yeah, it was it was remarkable. Um, you know, Spurs had most of the, the, the territory in the second half. Uh, Leicester looked very dangerous on the break. James Madison got the goal and you had... Um, he had Leicester fans singing uh, Spurs get battered everywhere they go and then not long after that they're being made to to um, eat their words because, yeah, it was incredible. You know, Bergwijn getting the first goal. Um, as I mentioned, Harry Kane with, with the 10 shots and then the finish for Bergwijn's third and this frantic counter-attack where you've got, you know, suddenly um, Spurs spring uh, Leicester and you've got kind of four or five defenders chasing back and the ball through from Kane to, to Bergwijn's perfect. And the way he hits it, you know, it's a, it's an impressive finish where he goes back across uh, the keeper and it looks, from the angle, like it's going to drift wide and somehow just kind of spins in the far corner and hits the inside of the post and goes in, sparking scenes that, you know, that's a proper... When you think back to this time last year and there weren't fans in football and you see the scenes in, the, in that away end and you realise what Spurs fans have just witnessed there, being 2-1 down in the 95th minute, having seen a board go up for five minutes injury time, um, to, to suddenly 180 seconds later you're cheering a winner it's what it's all about isn't it and I think for Bergvine as well a player who has shown some promise in his in his Spurs uh, career so far who's been linked to a move away in this window uh, he's a popular player with, with most Spurs fans I think they're happy to see him get the headlines for once um, an incredible incredible evening of football and, and it's going to be very hard I think for Leicester fans and, and Brendan Rodgers and his team to, to bounce back from the disappointment
2: I tell you what, George, I absolutely loved Bergwijn when he was just trying to dodge the stewards as well. And, you know, the yeah. pile the, 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 the on with all the players and, and the lad with the Spurs bobble hat who's probably had his two seconds of fame on, on social media. I think Lucas Moura come and nicked his bobble hat and threw it on the floor. And just, there's nothing better than a midweek away, away day, you know, looking like you've lost the game and, and all of a sudden in a minute you've actually won the game as well. Absolute pandemonium in the way. And it's, uh, it's what football's about, isn't it?
1: I'm calling it now Spurs top four i make them the favorites for top 4 now.
2: 13 to 8, Dan. Five, I think. 13 to 8 they are. They are fourth favorites with Arsenal at 2 to 1 and they're 4 to 5 to finish above Arsenal this season. Mm, interesting. What's your prediction for the game?
3: Well, as I said at the top, I'm I'm finding it difficult to make sense of this one. There's no way I'd be touching Chelsea at 8 to 13, but if it goes true to form of the cup games then that could look like a, a bit of value anyway. But I think given what we saw from Kane You know, we said a lot. Conte is a manager who gets the very best out of strikers. And it's not often you see strikers getting 10 opportunities to shoot, Kane getting one goal, hitting the woodwork as well. If that's the same again, you've got to think that the market might be viewing Kane's poor form and there might be a bit of value backing him to score especially because Chelsea don't come into this in great form either so I'm backing Harry Kane to score any time at eight to five um you know Lukaku is is 10 to 11 to score first sorry to score any time he's equally out of sorts and I think Kane looks to me you know between the two obviously Chelsea short price are more likely to score but I think if Spurs are to get on the score sheet there's no denying who's the most likely to do so
1: Just enough time for me to remind you that you can subscribe to The Athletic today and gain full access to all the brilliant articles as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts, including this one, for just £3.33 a month for an entire year. Go and do that now by visiting theathletic.com slash pod And with the January transfer window in full swing and just under two weeks from closing, The Athletic are recording daily transfer shows, bringing you the exclusive news and insight on all the big deals from the best newsroom in the industry. The only place you can hear these podcasts is on the Athletic app or by subscribing to the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. You can start a free trial of that today if you haven't used one already. My thanks goes to Stevie Mann and Georgie Boy and, of course, all of you for listening. Remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss a show. You've been listening to The Athletic Football Podcast. Have a great weekend and enjoy all the football.
4: The Athletic.